Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Hello all, podcast number 45. I'm Cam Connor with my son Chris. So we promised we'd be back and we are back and you have a whole bunch of questions. So I took some that I didn't think you answered before or that you might want to answer again if uh, the maybe the answers changed a bit and some you've forwarded to me from your social media. So before we start, I wanted to ask you uh, your thoughts on the Mike Tyson fight from, I guess it was like a week or so ago. Did you watch it? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, you know, Chris, um, I did watch it. You know, each of those guys in their prime, I think Tyson has a, and I don't know how accurate this is, I don't think he's fought for over 10 years. Roy Jones, probably three years ago I read, he fought. You can't take anything away. Roy Jones was a champion three, maybe four different weight divisions. And Mike Tyson, I mean, I don't have to sell Mike Tyson. He was just a killer when he was in the ring in his prime. And, uh, you know, he's changed as a person from when he was first got into boxing. He came off the streets. Just like I've changed from when I first got into hockey to who I am today. Tyson's changed and he probably doesn't have that killer instinct like he used to. But I saw the fight and, you know, it's like a, an exhibition bout and I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. But it's almost like, um, okay, let's not go head hunting and try to knock me out or, you know, give me hard shots to the head. You know, they boxed and they threw punches, but it wasn't with evil intentions that they were throwing those punches. And so one guy was 54 years old, one is 51 years old. Roy Jones, he, you know, boxers, they got to be in good shape, especially when you're a champ. So when I saw Roy Jones and his boobs were bouncing up and down, that means there's a lot of fat there now. That kind of shocked me. Tyson looked in pretty good shape. But I think these are two guys, there was no purpose to this fight. There wasn't trying to really get a win there. I think they were just boxing with respect and not trying to hurt each other. And, you know, it was a little more than a sparring match. But, uh, you know, when they declare it a draw, that's, you know, that's, you know that doesn't, in my mind, I, I didn't like that. Why did they call it a draw? Well, maybe because uh, these are two former champs. And they didn't want to declare one guy better than another. Like, I don't really know. You know, I don't think they should have a rematch. That's for darn sure. Because uh, whatever they were charging, it wouldn't be worth it to do it again. But it was nice to see the guys back in the ring. So what if you had an offer against another 65-year-old? Would you, would you take that? You know what? I thought years ago, because Semenko and I, Dave Semenko, I fought him his first game in pro hockey. And... Uh, I uh, I always feel like I got to defend myself, but I beat Dave. I've got pictures of him on the ice. I mentioned before he was my third fight that shift, and so when I talk to Dave about it, you know he just laughs. And um, I always I always kind of thought you know what would be good was Semenko and I to get into a ring, but you know I don't know if that would ever sold. Nor I didn't suggest it, you know, to Semenko. So it was just something in my own mind. But you know, would I go in the ring? Hell yeah, with somebody. I mean, I wouldn't go in with a boxer, but I would go in with a, another hockey player that, uh, you know, if we're around the same age and so on, and I would only do it for the money because, 
the body I used to have is not the body I have today and the conditioning and everything else would have to, it'd be a hard price to pay to get back into shape so that you could uh, be respectable in a ring. But, you know, when I was younger, I used to put the gloves on. I never, never took lessons boxing, but I would put the gloves on quite a bit with Roddy Piper and others. My hands are pretty fast and I hit hard. I don't have what I used to have. So would I go back in? I would just to make some money. And I don't know if you've answered this or if anyone's asked you, but if at your peak versus Roddy Piper at his peak, who who would win, do you think? And I guess you're biased, but uh, <laughs> what's your answer? You know, the God's honest truth. Rod is a little more mentally tough than I am. I mentioned before on my podcast, when we would frick, we would wrestle all the time, we would box all the time. When we would wrestle, Rod was very strong, but I was too. And we would wrestle, and if he got on top of me, I know there was times when I really felt that I could dig down a little deeper. I had a little more strength in me to get him off me. But I know that if I got him off me and I got on top of him and kept him down, he would just lose his mind. And I'm not even being funny. Like, Rod, he did not want to come in second in anything. And if I was to best him, even briefly, he wouldn't stop fighting. He would keep fighting until I give up. Like, he would be, he's a lunatic that way. So, you know, I'm going to say Rod could probably take me, especially, you know, when he became a wrestler. I mean, those guys are tough. Even though it's choreographed, don't ever fight a wrestler in the street. Don't even try. I, I would say, you know, all honesty, I might have, you know, a moment, but, uh, you know, in the long run, he was, he's the guy that he could, he could beat me for sure. And I guess we'll stay on the topic of fights and brawls. So you were actually sent a picture of a big brawl, and the t it was out of, uh, I guess, a newspaper clipping. And it said, uh, Coliseum Brawl sets seven records. The biggest brawl in the eight-year history of pro hockey in Phoenix broke out with just over two minutes remaining in the Roadrunners' 4-1 victory over the Minnesota Fighting Saints in the Memorial Coliseum last night. Both teams built onto the ice and a dozen fights were going on at one time. Seven World Hockey Association penalty records were set and four more equaled. And then this is more pictures and stories uh, to come. So do you, uh, of course you remember that, but uh, do you have any stories or anything yeah. to talk about? Yeah, I remember that. Because it's funny, when the brawl started, I can't remember who our radio announcer was. And he was on the radio. And when the brawl started, he thought he'd turn the radio off. But his mic was still live. And over the air, he said that effing Connor, he started this whole brawl. He's the guy that started all this. And then, you know, he eventually found out that his radio was on and everybody heard his comments. So... He sought me out a day or two later and apologized because I, I was told what he said and how I started the brawl and really what that was. And, and I might have talked about this in my past podcasts. Um, there was a guy on Minnesota Fighting Saints named Paul Holgram. He played in the NHL. He was a tough boy. He's actually the president of the Philadelphia Flyers. He was the GM for a while. He was a coach. He was in the organization. Paul, in his NHL career, he was a, he's a big, tough American boy, and he came to play every single night. He fought all the tough guys in the NHL, game in and game out. So 
when he was in the war hockey, we were probably about the same age. He was fighting on the ice in this particular game you're talking about, Chris, with my roommate, Barry Dean. And I love Barry. He's really one of my friends. He actually just phoned me last week and we talked. And, um, and he started to get the best out of Barry. Now, I had just finished my shift on the ice when Barry and Paul Holgram started fighting. And uh, I had to help Barry out. He's my friend. He's my teammate. He's my roommate. So I didn't go over and sucker Paul Holgram in the middle of his fight when he's fighting Barry. What I did is I just jumped and I got him off of Barry. I didn't swing or hold him. I just pulled him apart. The Minnesota Fighting Saints, they had really a tough team. So they had three guys that were, you know, in the Slapshot movie. They were called the Hansen Brothers, but in reality, they're Carlson Brothers. Plus, there's four or five more guys that were just really tough boys who were on that team. And they had their hands all taped up. Because back in those days, you could tape your hands up like boxers. More than half the team, uh, when they came on the ice for the bench brawl. Because when I jumped Holcomb, that was the excuse that they needed to put everybody on the ice. Because that's what they were all about. They were a tough physical team. And so I, I, I'm pretty sure I've told the story. So after I got Holgram down and everybody was on the ice and they came after us, they, they really were looking for fights. And I had a guy named Kurt Brackenberry who grabbed me by the back of the neck and pulled me away from Holgram. And I'm tired because Holgram is no little guy. Plus it was the end of my shift. Now I'm fighting Brackenberry. Brack, he's a tough boy who's never out of shape. And he's a scrapper. So we went at it for quite a while. And then we were huffing and puffing. And we had each other by the jerseys over the boards, bending over. And we we're, you know, breathing pretty hard like racehorses. And he says, you ready to go again? I said, nope. So he gave me another 30 seconds to get my breath. He says, you ready to fight again? I said, yep. We let go of each other. And then we went at it again. And after another minute, well, you try a hockey fight, guys. You never had a hockey fight. You get tired pretty quick. It's hard. And so after another minute, we were over the boards, huffing and puffing. And he says, you ready? I said, yep. So we fought a third time. And don't forget, the linesmen, the referees, they're just standing back. They can't do anything when there's 12 fights going on at once. They just let it wear itself out. So there's nobody breaking this up. And so the third fight after that, we're over the boards again. And then Brax says to me, he said, hey, Cam. Why don't we fight somebody else? I said, yeah, okay. So we let go and just went back into the fray of things. And um, it was it was some pretty wicked fights. We had guys in our team that got sucker punched and their, like their, I don't know if I can explain this good, but their eye brow was cut and it fell over top of their eye. Like, it was pretty gross. It was really, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a pure brawl. That was for sure. Uh, anyways, we did set records, and it was pretty scary out there because there's nobody breaking it up if you're on the bottom. And uh, then we went back to Minnesota probably a week later, and I think I have mentioned the story. And uh, the Montreal Canadiens of the NHL uh, were playing the Minnesota North Stars the same night that Phoenix of the World Hockey and Minnesota Fighting Saints of the World Hockey were, were playing each other across town. And um, we drew over 19,000 people to our game. And they drew, the Montreal Canadiens, Minnesota North Stars, drew just a little more than 6,000. So you can't tell me a good physical hockey, rough hockey game doesn't sell. It does sell. And so 
you know what? Uh, it was pretty scary, you know, because they had a tougher team than us. And I remember that the three Carlson brothers, they were out there running around and a bunch of their guys. And uh, the problem is, before the game, I was reading the program. And I fought a guy named Jack Carlson, who's probably, in my mind, I thought he was the toughest of the three brothers. And I got Jack down, but man, it was like, and I've said it before, it was like riding a Brahma bull. I felt that guy's strength, and I just said, I'm not letting this guy up. Man, he's a tough boy. So I always had respect for, you know, for fighting Jack. And then Jack in the program before the game, he said, I'm not afraid of anybody in the world hockey. The only guy I'm afraid of is my older brother, and I think his name was Jeff. He said, I would never fight that guy. He's so tough. And I went, oh, my God. So that first period, Minnesota, they ran us. And if you don't know what ran run you means, it's like when you got the puck, they just they don't even care about the puck. They just try to run you over and hurt you. And they just physically abused us. And nobody, including myself, did anything. We just took it. And I remember going, oh, man, two more periods of this. And in between periods, I did a little soul search, and I had to challenge myself. And I, I talked to myself, and I said, Cam, you're gutless. You got to stand up. Make a stand. Stand up. Don't just take this anymore. So I said, I got to do what I got to do. Second period, the toughest of the two Carlsons was carrying the puck down the ice. And I was in my end. I, I ran him. Right to from my end, I ran right to center ice, and I jumped in the air, and I give him an Eddie Shack body check. I flattened this guy right in his own rink. Well, as he's flying down onto the ice, he's already taken his gloves off. So I said, "Oh my God, I'm going to get shit kicked tonight." But anyways, we square off at center ice, and I've said before, when you're scared, you can fight. And I was scared, and man, I was, I was just, I was scared. And so he comes at me, and it was just instinct. So all of a sudden, I throw, I always threw, for the most part, three punches in a row without thinking. That's just how I fought. And I hit him, bang, 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 and down he goes. And he's trying, he gets up, he's trying to get at me, and the linesmen are keeping him away. And I'm thinking, oh, that's good. Keep him away. I don't want to fight him again. I think I got lucky. Well, then the referee, his name was Bill Friday, and I talk about people in hockey with personalities. This referee had a personality, Bill Friday. He came from the National League. So, obviously, he's seen a lot of fights. He's seen me fight. He's seen Carlson's fight and others. So, when Carlson was trying to get at me, he told the linesman, Okay, linesman, Carlson wants to fight at Connors again. Let him go at it. And I'm thinking, what are you saying, man? I, like, I can't do that again. Well, you know, I can't just go hide behind somebody, so I got to fight him again, so we square off at center ice. And this is what the 19,000 people, that's why they came to this game, to see a rough game. So we square off, and uh, for whatever reason, Carlson just dropped his hands and skated to the penalty box. And, you know, I was pretty grateful. And then after that, the game turned around. They weren't running us anymore, and I think we ended up tying them 1-1. But it was a good hockey game. But sometimes you just got to draw your line in the stands, in the sand, and say, you know what? I got to be a man. And you stand up for yourself. And I was really glad, you know, now that my career is over, that I actually had that attitude. So uh, that was a bench brawl. And, you know, I probably was involved in three bench brawls. And that, that's that got to be the worst one. 
because I've never seen 12 big fights going on at once. So, yeah, Chris, that was uh, that brings back a lot of memories. See, and that was just question number one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure people appreciate uh, reliving uh, an epic bench brawl. I just wanted to thank everyone who is listening to the podcast, who follows you on social media, Twitter, Cam Connor NHL, Instagram, Facebook. You're on Cameo if anyone wants a holiday shout-out or share a, a hockey story. Dad, you're doing great at that. And if anyone has any questions, view from the penalty box at gmail.com. And if you want any t-shirts or merchandise, it's viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H. So we'll get into some questions that you received. And your first one is a quick one. It's from Bobby, and he wants to know why Cowboy Bill Flett was named Cowboy. And I remember him when I was younger, playing on the alumni, Oilers alumni, and you talk about players that had character and were unique. Having met a lot of different players, he's one that I definitely remember. So do you know why he's named Cowboy? And I guess if you have any stories about him. Well, and who he is. Yeah, you know, Cowboy, you know, when I, Cowboy's been dead for quite a few years, unfortunately. And um, I know he played for Philadelphia Flyers when they had their tough teams. And uh, he had his own personality, too. He wasn't an aggressive player. He was really good around the net. Um, he was, he treated everybody very well. Um, they called him Cowboy. Like, I never asked but he always wore a cowboy hat and he had his cowboy boots on and he was always around ranches and people, you know, that had cattle. And so, you know, I think that name became natural. And the one thing I do remember, which was pretty unique, but it was probably a little bit of a safety hazard, is when we would play with the Oilers alumni after we all retired, cowboy would have his hockey skates on so Cowboy would put spurs on the back of his hockey skates. He'd strap them on, just like you see when somebody's riding a horse or maybe a bull. And so obviously, you know, that could be a problem if somebody fell on those things or he fell on somebody and jabbed them. But nobody ever complained, but that's he would put those on his, uh, on his skates. And uh, with Cowboy, you know, like I've said before, the old days – we used to bond over beer, going to the bar. Nobody ever made you drink. But, you know, some guys, they, they drank for so much that they just, it was just part of their life. Cowboy, I think that's one of the reasons why he parted this earth a little bit early. I know, you know, we'd be on the road, you know, and it'd be like six in the morning, seven in the morning, and we'd be on a bus going, you know, to the next ex exhibition game with the alumni and you hear in the back, and it'd be Cowboy opening up beer first thing in the morning. And so he was he was not a mean-spirited person. He was a happy guy. I don't know. He told me uh, a story that uh, was kind of funny. So I think they're called, I, I don't know horse racing. I think they're called trotters. And so you're in a cart and you're sitting in a cart and it's got two wheels, kind of look like a chariot, and is on the back of a horse and they're pulling it around. And um, so he was, there was about three or four or five people having a race around a track. And one of them was Glenn Sather, who was in, you know, had the horse next to him. 
And he said what he would do, because he had more experience with those kind of uh, situations and uh, that kind of equipment than Glenn Savey did. And he said the whole time he got right behind Glenn and he moved the horse right up so that the horse's face was right next to Caesar's all the way around the track. He said it was so funny having this horse breathing over Glenn's neck. So anyway, so yeah, Cowboy, he was always around livestock and the farms and so... We miss we miss Cobb quite a bit, and he had a personality that people can't forget. Okay, you have a question from Mark, and he writes, I'm a new hockey fan that's enjoying your podcast. Do you read hockey books, and do you have a favorite that you've read? I don't read hockey books per se. I might be in a bookstore, and if it's an author or somebody that I know, I'll, I'll skim through it, and you know. But but I don't buy them anymore. Probably the best hockey one that I, hockey book that I read, and, and, and I want to say, and I don't know if this is right because it's a few years ago, I want to say the name of the book was The Defense Never Rests. It was a book by Bobby Orr a number of years back, and he talks about, you know, when he was playing for Chicago in Boston and his relationship with Alan Eagleson, and uh, what a crook Alan Eagleson was, and what he did to Bobby Orr. And, you know, after I read that book, Bobby Orr, what a class person. He didn't really cut up Alan Eagleson. When he finished, when Alan finished with him and, and his career was over, he said he had no money because if, because of Eagleson. I would recommend if you could find that book I'm talking about. And I want to say, I think it's called The Defense Never Rests. And it's by Bobby Orr. And he talks a lot about Alan Eagleson in there. And, his, and like I said, Chicago and, and Boston Bruins, and it's a pretty interesting read about how Alan Eagleson told Bobby Orr when he was playing for Boston Bruins and his contract is up, and he's had some bad knees, and and so Alan Eagleson told Bobby Orr, listen, don't talk to anybody from the Bruins. They'll tell you whatever they want to tell them. Tell them they got to go through me. Don't even talk to those guys. So, you know, Orr said, okay. And the owner, and I used to know the name of the Boston Bruins, came up to Bobby Orr, and he, and he said, Bob, did Alan Eagleson tell you the offer I made you? And he, and he just said, you know what, you're going to have to talk to Alan. And he wasn't ignorant, but he just kind of deferred him to go back to talk to Alan. And as it turned out, they offered him, I, I want to say that it was 20% ownership of the Boston Bruins if he stayed and played for Boston. Well, apparently, to the, this book said that Alan Eagleson never told him that. And apparently he got some money under the table from Chicago Blackhawks to have Orr sign with Chicago Blackhawks. And it was, read the book. I think that was a tremendous book, but it, uh, I just felt when I read that, I, my respect for Bobby Orr just moved way up there. So again, I think it's called the, the defense never rests, but you might be able to research it if that's not, you know, the right title of the book. Okay, you have a question that was sent in to our email address from Brian, and he says, how much colder was it back when you were young in the prairies than it is now? They all say it's much warmer, and how is that affecting youth hockey? Or because there are so many more rinks now, does pond backyard rink skating matter as much as it used to? Regards, Brian. Well, you know, Brian, the game of hockey's changed quite a bit. When I was younger, it was rare up until about 15 or 16 years old that I got to go on indoor ice. Everything was outdoor ice. 
you know, you you were right about that. It was way colder back then. There was many nights that the the the, the floodlights were off at the rink because it was too cold. Nobody was skating, and I used to go skate in the dark and shovel. And sometimes I had to break into the uh, little changing shack because it was too freaking cold to clean to, to change your boots into your skates outside. And you know that's where not only myself but other players back in our era really learned to play hockey was on those outdoor rinks, outdoor ponds. Some people had access to lakes or rivers or, you know, that's where you learn. And it was unlimited. You know, nowadays, you know, you get a, when I played junior, I think we got one hour a week, maybe two. This is in like, not the Western Hockey League, but the level below. We got minimal time and then everything else, you know, you'd have to figure it out yourself. How you're going to be on the ice. So again, we go to the outdoors. Today, it's not the same. There are so many, out, so many indoor rinks and we didn't even have hockey schools in my day. Now there's kids that play all winter. They got, they're on the travel team and they pay for extra ice and they travel all over and they're on the ice every single day. And then when that season's over, they join another league and they play all summer long. And I've talked to some ex-pros and we all agree. There is, and even Gretzky agrees. There's got to be an off season, you know, to just get away from the game. And when you come back, you're so excited. You know, with these kids are on the ice every day. So maybe, you know, this is just my opinion. I just don't think it's healthy for the kids. I think you should play other sports. Play your football, your soccer, your baseball, your lacrosse, your go swimming. There's so many other things you could do to stay in shape in the offseason so that when you come back, you're just so excited to get on that ice and it's fresh and it's just not like another day on the ice. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was colder and it's not the same anymore because I know in the area I live in Edmonton, we're lucky if the outdoor rink gets in in January. And uh, the the community club next to us, they built it on an old tennis court and it was black asphalt, which was goofy because, you know, when the sun comes out, that black asphalt under the ice attracts the sun and the ice melts all the time. So it's just, it's just not a good experience anymore. So some of the rinks, I'm sure, are in there a lot longer, but the ones around me, they're in there very minimal and you don't see... A lot of kids using the outdoor rinks anymore. But again, you know, they got access to indoor, but it's also more expensive. You know, it didn't cost us anything to go to the outdoor rinks. And now parents, it costs an awful lot of money to play the game of hockey. Okay, we have a question from Jerry on your Twitter feed. And he's from Phoenix. And he asked, do you have any Bobby Lalonde? That's a hard last name to say. Bobby Lalonde. Stories. I believe he was only five feet five tall. Yeah, there was a, there was a few hockey players that were Bobby Lalonde played back in the era, you know, that I've talked about when it was really rough, aggressive hockey, and there were some smaller players, but it was a big man's game. And today, with pretty well no hitting rules, you know it's just not like the day before. They've taken the aggressive part out of hockey. You just can't play the way you used to. So you can get a lot more smaller guys playing the game of hockey, which is great. But Bobby played in an era when he had to keep his head up. 
you know, guys would try to run them and hit them like uh, anybody else. And so the only thing I can say is I take my hat off to guys like Bobby Lalon. He had a long career. He was a good hockey player. You had to have guts to play back in my day, and especially so when you were his size. And just like Fleury, Theo Fleury, he was not a big man. But I remember watching Calgary and Edmonton. They used to have some kind of hockey games. It was a provincial rivalry. And each team had tough guys on both teams. And you go into Calgary, you knew you were going to earn your paycheck. And when Calgary come to Edmonton, same thing. It was going to be rough, entertaining hockey. You couldn't get a ticket for those games. It was such a rivalry. And Theo, he was just about probably 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, not very big. And I remember there was a guy on the Oilers defense named Steve Smith. And if I'm not mistaken, Steve was six foot three and 210. He was a big boy. And, uh, you know, he didn't play an aggressive game. He would take the body, but don't get him mad because he would hurt you. Well, the very first shift in Edmonton, I see Fleury go out of his way and he ran Smith so hard. And I remember saying, that guy's got more guts than me. He's going to have to keep his head up for the next 60 minutes because Smith is not going to take that from somebody five foot five or five foot six. So there were some small hockey players that had a lot of balls and they showed up. You know, you couldn't intimidate them because otherwise uh, they wouldn't have played the game. So, yeah, I remember Bobby and he was a, a good hockey player and he came to play even though he was five foot five in a big man's game back in those days. I'll add one more question. It's a long one, but it's a, a really nice and uh, thorough email. So uh, let's get started. It's from Patrick, and he says, Hi, Cam and Chris. Just found the podcast a few weeks ago and have been working my way through them. I'm 53 and really started following hockey since the early 70s, and your era was the absolute best. Great players, characters, and so much fun to follow. Today's game has been sanitized to the point where, for me, it's lost all its charm. I still love the sport, and the level of play is off the charts, but it's just not the same. Being a new listener, I've been catching up on all that's been going on with you over the past few years, and I'd like to extend heartfelt condolences on the loss of your parents and your good buddy, Roddy. Love hearing you share and talk about off-topic subjects. See, Dad? People... People like the off-topics as well. It's not just hockey. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut, and remember very well you playing here with the Nighthawks. I was sorry to hear the circumstances that brought you here were not the best. I was a fan of you then. You played the game in a way that I loved. And this brings me to a few questions that I have. In 1972, I watched Kevin Morrison fight Battleship Bob Kelly here in an epic fight that Don Cherry, who was coach of Rochester Americans at the time, has said is one of the best fights he's seen. Kevin went on to play in the WHA. Do you have any recollections of him? So there's a few questions. That's the first one. Kevin Morrison, his nickname was Squid. And I think he was from eastern part of Canada out in the coast. Kevin, he played for San Diego Mariners in the World Hockey Association. He was a big, strong tough defenseman. He never played goony hockey, but back in the day, I mean, if you were a big, strong guy and you didn't use what God gave you, you didn't play the body, you just didn't last very long. So, you know, it was nothing but positives. I didn't know him as a person. And I know 
that he never bothered me ever. And, and, you know, I didn't go out of my way to bother him. So we never did have a fight. But again, he uh, probably could have kicked my butt. But, you know, he was nice to me. Um, but yeah, he was a, a good hockey player. And I think he was a pretty nice guy because, you know, and then, you know what, there's a guy on that, on that team. Well, I guess I forgot his name, but he was a little guy too. Because we just finished talking about little guys, and he showed up every night, but I can't remember his name, so apologize for that. Okay, so in 1973, I watched Steve West light up the league with 50 goals, 60 assists, and wondered why he never got called up that year. I followed his next seasons in the Hockey News, and I believe you played with him one season in Houston. Any memories of Steve West? I sure do, and where I sit right now, I look over to my right. I got his hockey stick, wooden hockey stick, Steve West hockey stick. And I remember Steve, and he was a good person, good teammate, fun guy, happy guy. He was a good hockey player, and you're right, he did so well in the minors. And, and you know, when he got a chance to be brought up, it's just kind of interesting. You know, these people that are lifelong guys in the minors, I believe that they have the ability to do well in the NHL. I've always said that. The big differential is not necessarily ability, hockey ability. It's the confidence. So these guys that have been told you're a minor leaguer year after year, you go to training camp and you know, you know, these guys, how well, it doesn't matter how well they do at training camp, how hard they try, they're already written off for the farm team. You know, if these guys were fortunate enough to be brought up to the NHL, the top level, what do they do? They put them on the fourth line and you get two shifts at the most a game. And so you're not able to show what you could do in the minors. If they really wanted to bring somebody up and to say, you know what? He's been in our organization enough times and he's led the American League in scoring or his team in scoring year after year. Let's put him on a good line. Let's pat him on the back. Let's make him feel part of this team. Let's give him two or three weeks up here, you know? They deserve that. If they've been in your organization for how long and you give them a couple shifts when you bring them up, that's not going to do. And you put them with maybe, you know, the players that aren't going to help you too much. You know, that's you're just not going to show what you can do. And then, you know, they say, oh, well, we gave them a chance when well, you didn't give them a chance. And so guys like Steve West, I think he had the ability. And then once again, when you're in the minors too long and you're not given that opportunity there comes a point where you get a little duller. And so when I played with Steve, I don't think Steve was still the Steve West, you know, from when he was in the minors. He did good, and he deserved to be up there. You know, we saw some of his scoring abilities, but it wasn't as consistent. So God best guys like Steve West. I just wish some of these guys had more of a chance. And when they got brought up, you know, to give them the pats on the back and give them that confidence, help the guys out. And then see what they really can do. And after a certain time and you've given them your, you know, and you made them feel like a team member and he hasn't come through, that's a whole different story. But, uh, yeah, I remember Steve and a uh, good hockey player. Do you remember his uh, big hair? Because <laughs> I'm looking up his picture. And yeah. He has a lot of hair. <laughs> he has a lot of hair. His hair was like there was a hockey player named Bill Goldthorpe that in the Slapshot movie they call him Ogie Oglethorpe. And that's the same kind of hair as Steve West. It's like a, almost like a blonde afro. Yeah. He had lots of hair. 
Okay, so the, the next question is, I spent a couple years working on a New Haven hockey history project about 10 years ago and talked to many former players. I found that players that looked so good and seemed to have great potential just drifted out of the game, and in most cases, it was due to injury that they never really recovered from. I'm sure you've seen plenty of talented players fall down that same path. Any players stand out as having super talent but ended up out of the game due to injury? Off the top of my head, I mean, maybe I'll think about it for the next week or two for the next podcast, but off the top of my head, there was only one guy who he actually overcame an injury that a lot of people didn't think was going to happen. And his name was Pat Conacher. And he was drafted, I want to say, the first round by the Rangers, and they sent him to the farm team. And he went alongside of the board, and his skate got caught between the boards and ice. Like, I don't know how that's possible. There must have been a little cavity there, and his skate got caught in there. And he snapped his ankle really bad. He was out for, I want to say, a whole year. He had trouble walking on it. And I remember they had these electrodes kind of uh, and a battery pack that, you know, taped to his leg that kept shooting down these electrodes into the ankle area to help the healing. And he hobbled and hobbled and hobbled. But, you know, I really felt that his career was over. But little by little, and, and Pat was a little guy, and he was a skater. He, if you ever saw the legs on him, he was short legs, but they were thick like tree trunks. And he was a strong, strong, fast skater. And the game was evolving from, you know, physical to more skating. And, and, and it's changed to what it is today. And so Pat, he made it because he was a good skater. He's the only guy, and you would recognize the name if you're from New Haven, Connecticut, because that's where Pat was, because that's where the Rangers farm team was for many years. So Pat Conacher was the one guy that almost his career was over because of injury, but after a lot of hard rehab work, it came around and he got a chance to, uh, you know, to leave the Ranger organization, end up with the Oilers, and I think he won Stanley Cup with the Oilers, and I, if I'm not mistaken... He might even have played a little bit for LA Kings, but for sure the Oilers. So, so there's nobody that jumps out, but I'll think about that question. Okay, and his last question is, any recollections of Jim Troy? He spent some time in New yeah. Haven and seemed pretty tough. He says, I uh, hope you can answer any or all of these questions, but in any case, I'll be thrilled to hear some new episodes. This has been a challenging year for sure, and your podcast has been a welcome diversion. Can't thank you guys enough for doing them. Cam, you epitomized everything I love in a hockey player, and thank you for showing up every night. Hope our paths cross one day so I can thank you in person. You're a real pro. Well, I, I appreciate that. It makes me feel good, so thank you very much for that feedback. And just because you mentioned Jimmy Troy, you know, Jimmy was, I never saw Jimmy fight, but, you know, he fought some tough guys, but the story I want to tell about Jimmy is what Roddy Piper told me. And there was a wrestler named Coco Beware. I think he was, and Chris, you would know, this, did, did he used to have a, an, a bird on her shoulder or something? Yeah, or? a bird named Frankie, I think. Okay. So this, this Coco Beware, I've talked about how the wrestlers, you know, it's choreographed, it's fake. But you don't want to fight those guys because they all are tough. Like, they really are. So Jimmy Troy, he was actually working for the WWF, I think they were called at the time. 
and because uh, he knew Vince McMahon, and they put him on the payroll, and they brought him in to, uh, you know, to do whatever he did, and they were in England, I think Rod told me, because Rod said, do you know a guy named Jimmy Troy? I said, yeah, why? I said, he was a pretty tough guy. He said he was a fool, and I said, what do you mean? So he was saying that he was in the bar with the wrestlers, with the WWE, and that Coco Beware, he started to mouth off with Coco, and he was he started to fight him. He said that Coco Beware cleaned Jimmy Troy's clock, beat him up so bad that that Jimmy just ran out of there, if I remember the story correctly. You know, again, Jimmy was tough, and hockey player tough is not wrestler tough. And so that's what I remember about Jimmy. I got along well with Jimmy. He was an assistant coach when I was there. I had uh, a very good season. I averaged a point a game. And I had the most fights on the team, and I had the most penalty minutes at the best plus minus. So, you know, I owe Jimmy a thanks, a big thanks for his time that he he uh, was my assistant coach that year. But, uh, yeah, that's what I remember about Jimmy Troy is, is the off ice. Yeah, it's interesting. It says in 1987, he helped convince Vince McMahon of the WWF to test the pay-per-view market, which turned really? out to make him millions and millions. Then it said uh, he resigned from the company in 1990 following a physical altercation with wrestler Coco Beware, like okay, you said. Okay, yeah, that's right. Then it says after leaving the WWF, Troy worked as a boxing manager and promoter. So kind of interesting background. So then Patrick... Uh, hey, let me let me oh, just say something yeah. about wrestling. Yeah. It's just because just we're on that topic and I brought up Rod's name. When my career was over, I had a really bad back injury. I had two cracked vertebrae. You know, it took a while to, to, to kind of come around. But I was told if I ever played again, that I could end up in a wheelchair. So I, I had to quit, you know, and wisely so. But I remember Rod, he said to me, Cam, you know what? We can make you some money. I said, how? He goes, I can get you in the ring. You and I will be a tag team and we'll take on a couple other guys. And I remember said. Rod, I'd like the money. I said, but one body slam, I'd be done. I said, no frick away am I getting in a ring. I was smarter than that, that's for sure. Although earlier you did say that you would have a boxing match. Okay, boxing. At age 65 (laughs) against someone for the money. So maybe I should have tried it out. Yeah, Uh, true. I was going to ride a Brahma Bull in Phoenix about about six, seven years ago. And the guys were going to give me 500 bucks if I got on there with a bull. I said, okay. And then a friend of mine looked at me and he said, Cam, you know, you're 50 whatever age. He said, don't do it. Are you crazy? And then he made me start thinking, yeah, you're right. Why would I get on a freaking Brahma bull? Because not only are they going to knock me off, mm-hmm. they'll turn around and try to kill me. So, yeah. And 500 isn't yeah. enough. No, so, it's not enough. So then uh, Patrick had a, a follow-up quick email and we want to thank you because these are some great questions that um, triggered some more stories you always say that you never know what stories are in your head so just throw them out there and we'll see where it goes so he wrote hi fellas i forgot to ask one other question in my email cam was there any blackballing of wha players after the leagues merged was wondering if that's what fred shero meant when he mentioned politics as to why you were being sent to new haven all the best Patrick, so was there any blackballing of WHA players? No, I, I would say, you know, the NHL teams, as much as, you know, the NHL teams didn't like the World Hockey because it raised the, 
you know, their payroll. And, uh, but you know what? If there was a player that they had on their list to, you know, that was your property and they were playing in the WHA, they, they wouldn't hesitate to bring that guy and put him on their team if they thought they could help. I'm sure there were some people overlooked that could have made the NHL from the World Hockey and they were just totally released and never played at that top level again. But I don't think anybody was blackballed because if, if the NHL thought you could help your team, they would, they, they'd bring you in a heartbeat. So I, I'd have to say no on that. But as far as Freddie Shiro, you know, in my mind, what he was saying was he, as the coach at the time, I think he wanted me there and he wanted to play me more. This is, again, me speculating that he wanted to give me a little bit better opportunity because I was starting to come around because I realized that I wasn't playing the same aggressive way that got me there. And I did a little soul searching and I said, okay, you know what? From here on in, I'm going to be the old Cam Connor. And if I break my hands for the fourth and fifth time, then that's what's going to have to happen. So I started to play way more aggressive than I had. And I know Fred it liked the way I played. I was making things happen. And I was getting scoring opportunities. You know, I for some reason, I never got along well with management for most of my teams, not all of them. And unfortunately, Craig Patrick, he did not respect me and didn't like me for whatever reason. And it could be justified. You know, the first chance he got to send me to the farm team, I'd never been to the farm team, and I remember I was at the rink that morning for practice. He said hello to me, and as soon as I got home, he phones me, but he couldn't tell me to my face. He phones me, and I said, Craig, just give me another two weeks. Watch what I can do. Nope, nope, nope. You know, who knows? You know, maybe I was, maybe I'm giving myself too much credit. I I don't know, but I know that sometimes I need my own wake-up call, and I uh, figured I could turn it around. I just needed that. Give me two more weeks, but I never got that opportunity. And again, that's when I just said I went down that year and got the point of game most, you know, I already said it just a second ago, most points, point of game, most fights, most penalty minutes, highest plus minus. I won the team MVP, so I did it all. But that didn't matter to Craig. He did not want me on his hockey team. So it's unfortunate for me. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for all the questions. Keep them coming. View from the penalty box at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you.